Well, as Tim said, I, I am uh, really not a stranger to this congregation, and it's a great joy to be back with you. Um, I'm kind of a detailed person in some things, and I, I was wondering, when was the last time I was here? When was the last time I was at CRPC? And it was November of last year. And uh, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, there's, there's good reason to give thanks. Um, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And as I thought back to November of 2022, I know that uh, people who were very dear to me, uh, Betty Jane Connect, and my mother-in-law, Delora Howerton, were in the same hospital in Howard County. And both of them were giving, given us a, a prognosis that was not very good. In fact, I think Betty Jane's was worse than my mother-in-law's. And my mother-in-law went on hospice care. And at the time, we were anticipating my mother-in-law's 100th birthday on December 5th. Well, we're anticipating my mother-in-law's birthday, 101st birthday on December 5th this Tuesday. Uh, the Lord was pleased in answers to prayer to raise up Betty Jane and to sustain her and so that Glenn and uh, Betty Jane can enjoy their life partners together for another year. That's no small thing. You know, if you went back to November of 22, we would have thought, oh, well, we're going to have to get ready for, you know. But no, I know Glenn prayed and we prayed and, and the Lord was very kind. You know, and earlier Tim mentioned about sadness and suffering, you know, with aging. You know, the, aging is simply the effects of the fall. We're not even getting to the eternal wrath that we, we bear because of our sin, but, but the aging is part of the fall. And yet for the believer, for the believer who is aging in Christ, in union with Christ, he will never let him or her go. And so that whatever confusion there is in this life, as I've watched my mother-in-law go through a year of confusion, not knowing if she's in Kentucky or Maryland or wherever she is, thinking my, my wife and her sister are her sisters. When the Lord takes her, it will be the, most, it will be the clearest moment of her existence. And she will be with Jesus forever, waiting for her resurrected body. And so as we have had this additional year with Betty Jane and my mother-in-law, we ought to rejoice and give thanks. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. This morning, I'm without my wife again. It seems almost every time I come to Christ Reform, my wife is not with me. And we have a wonderful marriage right now. <laughs> we, we have had 41 years of glorious uh, marriage, and, and, and the years get better as we go on. And and um, she was dressed and ready to go this morning, but her sister took ill, and so my wife had to, had to stay home. So uh, I've had this running joke with Rick Peterson for a while about, uh, my wife's not here, and I'm glad she's not. And uh, on one occasion, she was with a, a young woman who came to Christ and was joining a church. And sadly, I'm sad this morning that my wife's not here, but at the same time, I'm glad that she can... Uh, she and her sister, uh, in a very difficult way, can provide care for their mother in accordance with 1 Timothy 5.4.
you know, this returning, that they are, they are giving the same care <laughs> that their mom gave them from birth to early childhood. And uh, it's glorious in the Lord's sight. We know it from that verse. It is pleasing to the Lord. You know, so I rejoice, you know, in the midst of difficulties, there's rejoicing. The Lord is always with us, so he doesn't let us go in the midst of the difficulties. So be encouraged and look to the Lord. There is suffering, as Tim said, absolutely. And yet it's in union with Christ and in dependence on Christ that we go forward. So with that, let me pray for our time in God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege above privileges to hear your word this morning. And as we look outside, it looks a little dreary and a little wet. And yet, Father, you often refer to your word and its power like the rain coming to the ground and nourishing the ground. And so, Father, we ask now that you would saturate us with Christ, that you would saturate us with the gospel, that we might know him more clearly and more dearly, and that we might embrace him, that we might be conformed to his glorious image, this great privilege that we have, that you have set forth for us in Christ to be just like your son. So help us now to attend to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please turn to John's Gospel, chapter 5. John's Gospel, chapter 5. We'll be looking at uh, verses 1 to 29, and the title of the sermon is An Omnipotent Voice, An Omnipotent Voice, the the voice of God at work. And so with that, hear the word of God. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, uh, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and when I am going, another steps in before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that was a step, was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. 
and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the word of the Lord. The Apostle John, who wrote this gospel, is a privileged man. He was a privileged man. He was a privileged man in being an apostle. He was chosen by Christ specifically for a particular reason, to bear witness to all that he saw and heard that Jesus has done. But not only did he have that privilege, on many occasions he and his brother James and Peter had even more privileges. There's only a handful of them. One of them is on the Mount of Transfiguration, where the three of them were privy to hear the voice of the Father speaking in testimony to the Son. Only a handful of things that they got to do this in a unique way. But his main purpose, his calling under Christ, is to bear witness. So that when we read John's Gospel, when we read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, when we read Revelation, this is John accomplishing his God-appointed purpose, to bear testimony for all time until Christ returns. As Tim mentioned, I'm licensed to preach in this presbytery. Glenn is an ordained minister. Your new pastor is an ordained minister, but none of us are apostles. It is a unique position that's only given as Christ has ordained them, and we all sit under their teaching. And so it's important that when we see this word this morning, that we're not just hearing God's word or John's word. We're hearing what God wants us to hear. And when he gives us this gospel as a whole, he has selected things that he has seen with his own eyes and heard with his own ears. And he says in 1 John, even touched. He could have had more things to say. His purpose statement in John 20, 30 to 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and not to end there, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the purpose of his gospel. We can have confidence that even this morning, for those of us who are in Christ, that we might know Christ more, and for those who are outside of Christ, that you might this morning come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and have that very life. If you want to get a, a good glimpse of what it was like for John to, if I can say, hang out with Jesus over these three years, Later today, if you get a chance, go to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. And there's this one segment where Jesus stills the storm. Stop. It's over. Jesus is approached by a man whose daughter, 
uh, is dying, and he gets interrupted. There's a woman with a blood flow, and he t- she touches him, and she's healed. And it seems, it seems like it's all over because somebody says, hey, your daughter's died. Don't bother him anymore. But see, that's no problem for Jesus. And so Jesus goes, and he heals him again with Peter and John and James, that unique uh, trinity of, uh, of mankind. And they were there, and they saw Jesus do those things. And there's a demoniac in that passage, too. And he is naked and, and out of control. He lives in the, the cemetery. And Jesus heals him. And he's sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind. Now, you must lose your breath reading the passage. But when, when John says, if, you know, if we wrote them all down, the, the world couldn't contain the books, there's, there's some hyperbole there, but, but think of that. One after the, another, you're going through the day with Jesus, like, oh, the, the storm is still, uh, the, 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 the child is healed, the woman's blood flow is healed, and, and this demoniac is in his right mind. And he goes home and tells about the glorious things that Jesus has done for him. And so it, it's, it's an amazing thing, but again, John has given us certain things. And so we want to look at this passage today, and I'll, I know I've been a little wordy to this point, but I hope for, for some good purpose. But uh, I want us to look at this passage today and to consider the voice of Jesus. And so the doctrine is the omnipotent voice of Jesus demonstrates immediate, ongoing, and future power. The, the omnipotent voice of Jesus demonstrates immediate, ongoing, and future power. And we'll look at all three of these things as in certain parts of the text this morning. And so first, I'd like to start with the, the immediate power of Jesus in, in verses 8 to 9 of our, our passage. Jesus said to him, Get up your, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now this is a very sad scene. Uh, I, I assume many of you have been to hospitals where people are in great care and needy. And Jesus comes upon this pool where all these invalids are sitting there. And they, the, the, the good purposes that God had created in creation for the body. You know, you could spend, you could, almost, you could begin to worship when you start to consider the, the, the intricacies of the eye or the brain or any other part of the body. It's a glorious, glorious creation of God. In fact, it's so glorious, you could have specialists that only do eyes or only hearts. Or it's just, there's so much there. And he puts them all together in, in mankind in this, this creation he, he has done. And yet here, they're not working right. Those good purposes have been thwarted for one reason or another. And so Jesus sees this man who's been there for 38 years. Now, I trust that you or someone you know has been in that kind of situation where there's this malady that goes on and on, sometimes with pain, sometimes not with pain, but with, with uh, things that make it difficult to do everyday tasks. And you would think that anybody would be happy, <laughs> happy to see somebody in that case to be healed. And yet we see that's not always the case, is once Jesus does his healing, but to think about what this man went through. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And the man seems so... Confused, he goes through this thing about the waters being moved. And as I've done my research, I don't, I'm not sure how much stock there is in that idea. Was this a vain hope of his? He, you know, I hope I can, you know, this is what I'm going to put everything into, like the lottery. I'm going to do this. With no avail. They're all sitting there. 
But that doesn't, that doesn't matter to Jesus. He just, says, he just says, get up, take your bed and walk. And he's healed in an instant. Those limbs that didn't work were brought back to perfect working nature. And when we hear that, that divine word coming from Jesus' mouth, it's like the work of creation in Genesis 1. Divine fiat. God says and it happens. God says and it happens. It's omnipotent. No one stops him. The man didn't have to sign a medical release or permission to do some type of procedure. In an instant, he was healed. How many of us would be glad to have that? But what we see here is that Jesus is exhibiting his divine nature. He was the second person of the Trinity who took on human flesh. This is part of the glory of the Advent season, the first Advent season. And so as he does this, he demonstrates his divine nature by his works. They themselves, in a sense, even without the words, demonstrate that he is God. Nobody can do that. Nobody can just say it in an instant and it happens. And he demonstrates that even though it's broken, even though the body is broken, I can heal it perfectly. And that's the hope for our souls in glory. That if we're in Christ today, we, we are already new creatures. We're not yet what we will be. There's, that's called the definitive sanctification is when we come to Christ and we have the new heart. But there's still more down the road for us. There's progressive sanctification as we gather every Lord's Day. As we are made aware of our sins, as we confessed as we are made aware of the life that we have in Christ and the forgiveness that we have. And so, right off from the start, we see that Jesus has this omnipotent voice that no one can stop him. And as I said, it had consequences. Not everybody's happy with this. And it was clear to his enemies that he was saying he was the son of the Father. He was making himself equal with God. He never denied that. It's clear that John is telling us that through his gospel, and we need to know that. He's not just a man. He was the second person of the Trinity, the beloved Son of the Father, who took on human flesh, that he might live a perfect life and bear our sins on the cross. And so we we need to remember, this is our Jesus. As we said earlier in the service, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father now. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that Jesus that we read about here, we have access to him now. As he's risen, never to die again. And as as his people, we always have access 24-7. It doesn't matter what the problem. It doesn't matter what the concern. The door is open. The The door is open to our Savior to ask for his help, whatever it might be. But what's important here is to see this this divine power in his voice. This amazing divine power. And for good. And for good. I've had had operations over the course of my life, and I've had to limp for a long time. Limping takes a lot of energy. But for this man to be healed, to be able to take up this bed that he laid on because he couldn't stand probably, and walk is an amazing thing. But this is your Jesus. Jesus. This is the Jesus of reality, of history. And so he demonstrates right there his immediate power of his voice. But that's not all we see here. Second, we see the ongoing power of his voice in verses 25 to 26. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. That there is an ongoing work of the the voice of Jesus, and it comes out in two ways. Often in John's Gospel, we have have a physical aspect and a spiritual aspect. In in chapter 2 of John's Gospel, we see the wine that represents the joy of of his people. In chapter 3, we have the physical birth and the spiritual birth. In chapter 4, we have the physical water and the living water, the spiritual water. In chapter 6, we see the physical food and the spiritual food, who is Jesus himself. In chapter 9, we see the, the physical sight and the spiritual sight. And even here, there's a, there's a double meaning here, that Jesus will give life both physically and spiritually as, as we read through John's Gospel. And so we see that later on, as we move through John's Gospel, this physical aspect where he raises Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't the first time he'd ever raised somebody, but Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. And everyone around there knew, Lord, there's going to be a stench if you've ever smelled a rotting animal. I drive through a lot of rural areas, and there's lots of deer. And even with the windows up, you can kind of tell, oh, yeah, I saw that deer there. You can smell it. You can smell it through the car. And they, you know, when Mary and Martha were there, they thought, oh, it's too late, Jesus. It's too late. Even though you've said, I'm the resurrection. I know, I know we'll get them back at the resurrection. But Jesus had other plans, and he raised, he raised Lazarus. Lazarus, come out! And once again, that omnipotent voice did its work, bringing their brother. Now, <laughs> I'm sure you've been to funerals, and you've lost loved ones. And the last thing in your mind you would expect is to regain that loved one right there. We will, in Christ, regain them in the, in, in the resurrection. But to, to, for them to have gotten their brother Lazarus back, Mary and Martha, it's hard to even imagine what their emotions might have been. Uh, grateful that Lazarus was back, but who was this man who, who raises the dead, who calls out those who have been in the tomb for four days? And so we see that Jesus has that ability to, to call people who are dead back to life. He has the authority over the dead. And we're going to look at this in the third point. But the second part of this, the second, this second point here is that there's a spiritual aspect. There's a spiritual aspect to Jesus uh, giving forth his voice and people coming to new life. John 5.24 is one of my favorite verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. That Jesus is the author of the new birth. That those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, which is all humanity in the fall of Adam. Jesus, by his almighty, sovereign power, calls forth some to newness of life. He takes them from death into life. Out of judgment into eternal life by the word of his power, the Holy Spirit at work. We have, a, we have a great explanation of this in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This, this, this calling is called effectual calling. Question 31. What is effectual calling? 
Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the gospel. Question 32. What benefits do they, uh, do they that are effectually called partake of in this life? They that are effectually called do in this life partake of justification, adoption, and sanctification, and the several benefits which in this life do either accompany or flow from them. This is what Jesus is talking about, that even in the midst of the history since Jesus was on the earth to now, he is still calling forth by his almighty sovereign voice, many to newness of life, against all odds, at least all human odds. If you read the book of Acts, you, you see the conversion of Lydia, this, this woman who seems so kind, and in some ways we can understand her conversion. But then you go to Acts 9 and you see uh, Saul and his, his breathing threats against the church. And almost God, with his, his, his glorious sledgehammer, hits him with, the, with his power and brings him to himself because he had plans for him. Even the Apostle Paul, this great enemy, became a willing servant, a bond servant of Christ. And his, his conversion should be a great encouragement for us today. It should be an encouragement for us that that power that was at work in Paul and who would lead him to be such uh, an example of Christ-like suffering for the, for the cause of Christ is in us as well. And that even though we might be aware of our sins, that by God's power he is going to continue to work in us and make us like his son. The things that we have feared maybe in the past, we won't fear in the future simply because God's Spirit is at work in us, conforming us to the image of His Son. It also encourages us as we pray for lost, for lost relatives or friends. We don't need to give up. We always lay it before the Lord, that may, the Lord may be pleased to open their heart at the last minute. I'm thinking of one of my sermons in two weeks from now about the, the man who was crucified next to Jesus. This man who was who was attached to the cross or his, his, his crucifixion as an unbeliever and a rebel, and yet died on the cross, a child of God, and would be with Christ in glory. It's an amazing conversion, an amazing conversion in the midst of great pain. But we, we, we need to marvel at that power, even for yourselves. If you come this morning in Christ, do you ever go back and think about where you were before? The darkness of what life meant, or purpose, or the character of your life. And yet Christ has come and changed you. He's given you a new heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the things that you used to love that were evil, you have a great distaste for and are are saddened about. Even as we confess our sins week to week, the Spirit is at work through the law or other passages of Scripture to make us aware of where we've fallen. And yet that should never cause us to despair. That should never cause us to despair because God is making us holy. Sadly, in in the world and sometimes in the Christian community, holiness has an odious smell to it. And it's not. It's a glorious, glorious thing to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our life here, once we come to Christ, is is one of growing in Christ's likeness through the means of grace through the word of God, through the preaching of the word, through prayer, through meditation. 
as the Spirit works in our hearts to convict us of sin and make us more like Jesus Christ. So if you see the Spirit convicting you, it's not to shrink back and think, Am I, maybe I'm not a Christian. The, he's, even for the Christian, there's conviction. And yet it's to a glorious end that you might be more and more like Jesus Christ. So we see the immediate power of Christ enacted on this man. Second, we have just looked at the ongoing power, both physically for Jesus to be able to raise the dead and to give life to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. But finally, we see the future power of Christ, the future power of Christ in verses 27 through 29. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is identifying himself with the Son of Man, a character that we find in, in, uh, in Daniel seven thirteen to 17. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." Jesus is identifying himself with the Son of Man. In John's Gospel, we have 12 references to the Son of Man. And Jesus and John, the Apostle John, are all saying, yes, Jesus is the Son of Man. That's what he's testifying to. That's what he claims. And his miracles, in a sense, are just one of the attesting uh, uh, matters that say that he really is who he says he is. And yet, in some ways, this, this, this reality of what this this what, what, this, what Jesus will do is there's a sobriety. There's a sobriety to it. That everyone in this room and everyone from Adam until when the Lord returns will stand before Christ and he will divide them one side to the other. Now there's an aspect that uh, I don't think most Christians realize. In fact, when I first heard it, I had all kind of red flags. But if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you have been justified by the blood of Christ. And I heard somebody say, there's an already not yet aspect to justification. And all my red flags went up. <laughs> what do you mean? I know there's an already not yet to our sanctification, but what do you mean by justification? And this person wisely made it very clear to me. In the world, the Christians look just like the unbelievers. And, and we're, we're counted as nothing. But when the Lord comes again, when he, when he comes again and he calls everybody out of the grave, and he separates the sheep from the goats, he says, these are my sheep, and I've bought them with my blood, and they are justified. And so the, the, the not yet aspect of our justification is we're going to be publicly acquitted by the Lord himself. It'll be very clear to the world, world at the last day that we are his. We are his sheep that he has bought with his own blood, with all glory to God. And yet now that's not seen. Christians can be demeaned or thought little of. And yet they're children of God. And he is with them in all things. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. But for those outside of Christ, it is a terrifying thought. Because if you do not 
Run to Christ. If you do not hide in Christ as Noah and his family hid in the ark, you will bear the wrath of God forever. That justice that God put on his son was once for all. It is not pleasing to the father that you should dishonor his son by not coming to him and believing in him. And be covered by his blood and have your sins forgiven and been given new life. I think sometimes the Christian community doesn't think about that as much as we ought. I know we're in the Advent season, really the first Advent season. And that there's a second Advent. And much of scripture points us that way to be ready. Peter tells us what kind of life we should live in Second Peter. In light of the judgment to come, what kind of people should we be? If you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Peter. I'm going to close here shortly, but turn to 2 Peter, chapter 3. As Peter is describing this this judgment to come, in, in verse 10 he says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening for the coming of the day, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, and his promise is always sure, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter is saying, and he's saying this to a community in the midst of suffering, don't forget, don't forget who you are. Don't forget what your purpose is here, to live lives of holiness and godliness, always dependent on the Lord. In John's gospel, in chapter 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's always true. It's always true. And yet with union with Christ, we follow Christ through difficulties. Not everyday difficulties necessarily, but, but often with long-term difficulties. I believe it's in Revelation 1.9. Uh, it, it talks about the need to persevere, patient endurance. That's part of being in Christ, patient endurance. And I feel like that's a piece of the puzzle that we often forget. And if we, if we forget it, the, the Christian life will be very difficult. But if we realize we have, we're called to patient endurance. Why? Because Jesus is coming. And we do have a, we have a, a, a home in heaven waiting for us. And yet we're not there yet. And, and we just need to be patient. Patient endurance while we're here. A gift of the Holy Spirit. A gift of Christ. And so, as we think about these things, it's important to remember there will be a finalization of all of human history. There will be no one who is hidden. All the unsolved murders and all the other unsolved crimes in the world, Christ knows. I recently heard a little uh, blurb on the internet about Jimmy Hoffa, who went missing in 1975. He was involved with labor. And they don't know where he is. They assume he was killed. They, you know, they had speculations. But Jesus knows where he is. And on that last day, Jesus will call him forth as well as all of human history, all the, all the men and women and children of human history. And so now, day, today is the day of salvation. This is the time to seek the Lord. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you 
not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we praise you and extol your name and your Son's name, that you would send your beloved Son, in whom you were well pleased, in whom you've testified as such on a number of occasions as you broke into this world to declare that to us. So, Father, we thank you and praise you that you've sent your Son, our sure Redeemer, our sure Savior. And we ask that as we go through this Advent season, that we might have a, a full view of what that means, that he took on our flesh, that he might bear our sins, that he would be the sacrifice that all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to, and that his sacrifice was absolutely sufficient and has been received, and now salvation can be proclaimed to us and to all the nations. And Father, if there be any here today who are outside of Christ, may you open their eyes to see their peril and to be ready for Christ's return. We pray.